In, uh, in 2007, there was a professor named Randy Posh who, is from, who was from Carnegie Mellon. And he gave this set of lectures that became very famous. They were titled The Last Lectures. Um, and they were titled The Last Lectures because uh, Randy Posh was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And so the doctor told him that he was terminally ill, that he would only have at most a few months to live. And so Randy would think about what to do, and he decided that he was going to give a series of last lectures. And that, the, that these last lectures would be, would encompass uh, the main pieces of advice, his words of encouragement, everything that he thought that he should impart onto his students and onto his family. When you watch it, it's really interesting because there's a lot of weight to it. That is not just another lecture, it's not just another class, it's not just another talk. You realize that for him, he knows that it is going to be the very last lectures that he ever gives. You know, I sometimes think about what my last words would be. And I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't know what they would be if I, if I knew that these would be my very last words. You know, I love you, maybe. Um, I, I hope that you continue to persevere in Christ, maybe. Um, I'm, I'm not sure, really. But I think that's a really good practice to think of. And, and the reason I bring this up is because we come to this passage at the very end of the book of Joshua, where, where we are now in Joshua 24. And what we know is that Joshua is at the end, tail end of his life. And he knows that he is going to have just one more opportunity to speak in public to all the tribes of Israel his very last words of wisdom, his very last words of encouragement, the very last words that he is going to be able to say to all of them. For the past however many years, he has been leading them and guiding them and worshiping the Lord. And finally, he comes to a place, the Bible says in verse 1, to a place in Shechem. And now Shechem is very important to Joshua. Because for Joshua, what he understands and realizes is that in Shechem, generations ago, the Lord brought Abraham there. And the Lord had promised Abraham that this land... Shechem would be his for his generations. And Shechem is in the land of the, the promised land. And so Joshua, he brings all of the tribes of Israel and he brings them to Shechem. And he says, these are going to be my last words to you. And I want, you to, I want to tell you these words on the land that God has already promised us through Abraham. And so what he does is he begins recounting everything that God had done for them. And he says, look, remember all of these blessings that God has done for us. He has brought us out of Egypt. He has given us the ten plagues. He has done this. He has done that. And therefore, he says in verse 15, choose this day whom you will serve. Because you can serve the gods of the Amorites. You can serve these other gods across the river. But for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You see, church, that is the crux of this message today. That is the crux of verses 1 to 15 here. And it's that simple sentence, because of all that God has done for us, we will choose to serve him. 
Is that your cry as well? Is that something that you could say confidently at the end of your life before everyone else knowing that maybe you only have a few months to live? Can you say to the people around you, to your family, to your friends, and to your church, that because of all that God has done for me, because of how faithful he has been, I am going to choose to serve the Lord. You see, I, I think it's so interesting because when you read uh, this passage, it's almost evident that um, Joshua is still so confident in the Lord. He is so confident of what God has done for him. And I think that is really the great uh, mark of a true biblical leader, that he is confident, that she is confident in the Lord. Because you look at these other leaders in the Bible who have failed, like King Saul, like Samson, for example, and they had everything going for them. They had everything going for them. They were tall, good-looking, strong. They, in the beginning, had some faith. And yet all of them ended up failing. And yet for someone like Joshua, he was confident in the Lord, not because of his own abilities, not because of what he could accomplish, but simply because he trusted in the Lord and in God's character. That's why he was confident. That's why he could proclaim that he would serve the Lord, that he would take his family as, as, as hard as he could to grow closer and closer to the Lord. Not because he was faithful, but because the Lord has always been faithful to him. God, he always keep, keeps his promises. Even if we don't, even if we fail, God, he never fails. Even if our love wanes at times, God's love is steadfast for you. He is there for you. Even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God, he is walking alongside beside you. And church, that is where your confidence has to come from. That is why you are able to move forward and spread the gospel and evangelize and tell others about Christ and do everything else for the Lord. Not because you are able to, not because you're talented, not because of your abilities. It's simply because you trust in the Lord and what he has done for you. That you understand that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that the things that he has said will come to pass. And because you hold that to be true, you walk forward in confidence. And you say, I remember what God has done for me and my household. And therefore, I will continue to choose to serve him. Even if it goes against the grain. Even if it goes against the world. Even if it goes against everything else. I am going to choose him, and I will choose him with confidence. Amen? You see, Joshua's last words to the people of Israel is this. Because of all that God has done for us, we are going to choose the Lord. You know, for, for the Israelites here, uh, they were exciting times for them. They were really exciting. Because if you remember, they had gone through all these different conquests. They had done all of these different things. They had defeated city after city after city. They had defeated their enemies. They had conquered the promised land. And what we know is that each tribe had 
already now received their inheritance. And so they were on their land planting and, and kind of reaping all of the benefits. It was a time of hope. It was a time of prosperity. It was a time of blessing. But it was also a very dangerous time for them. Because the Bible is, is, is interesting. What, what we see is that when the Israelites are at the lowest places, when they have failed, when they are most hurt, what God does is he either brings himself or he brings a prophet and he brings words of encouragement and tells them to remember what he has done. He says, don't forget what I've done. Don't forget the things that I've accomplished in your life. Remember how good I have been to you. And yet what's interesting is that in their times of success, in their times of prosperity, in their times of blessing, God does the exact same thing. And he goes to them and he says, even in your time of blessing, even in your time of prosperity, remember what I have done for you. Remember how good I have been to you. Don't forget who I am. Because God is trying to remind them of this one simple truth that sometimes prosperity can be more dangerous than your failures. That your successes can sometimes be more powerful and draw you further away from God than any moral failure ever could. You see, when we are successful, what we begin to believe is that everything that we've done is through the work of our hands. We begin to believe that it's through the intellect of our mind, it's, it's through the passion of our hearts, that what we have is simply through the fruit of our labor. It is because we worked hard, and yet God reminds us that nothing can be accomplished apart from him. That he is the one who gives. He is the one who takes away. That every blessing is from him. And that the situation that you are in today, whether it is good, whether it is bad, whatever it is, God has ordained it and allowed it for you to be there. And he can change it in an instant. God did that. Not me. Not you. And not anyone else. You know, there's this idea that we partnered with God in order to achieve these successes in our life. That somehow me and God are this one-two punch. And that, man, if God works and I work and then everything can be accomplished that way. And, and man, we had a part in this. And yet, I want you to know that the Bible never espouses that idea. That we aren't some type of partnership. We aren't some Batman and Robin. We aren't Mario and Luigi. We're not Ben and Jerry. We're not anything like that. God is not partnered with us. He is everything. There's one example that God gives to us in how we look together. That he is the potter and we are the clay. That he is the one who shapes. He is the one who guides. He is the one who leads. He tells us what we should be. He tells us where we should go and we do those things. And he simply allows us to be a part of that miracle. He simply allows us to be a part of that story. Church, I want you to know that your successes, no matter how great they are, are not through your own work. They're not through your own intellect. They're not through your own passions. It is simply because God has given it to us. 
And look, I know that can sound uncomfortable, but I want you to focus on these verses. Because when you look at verses 3 to 13, I want you to see a prevailing theme that God says again and again. I'm going to read it to you in a shortened version. I took your father Abraham. I gave him Isaac. I plagued Egypt. I would not listen to Balaam. I delivered you out of his hand. I fought Jericho. I gave you this land. God did it. God did everything. And, you know, I, I think that even in this moment, maybe the Israelites were kind of confused. So we kind of did a little bit. We brought in the strategy. We walked around the, the walls of Jericho. We, we blew the trumpets. We, we did a little bit of it. But, no, no, God, he, he doesn't mention any of that. He says, no, no, it starts and it ends with me. I am the one who gave you this. Don't forget it. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. Don't forget that. I'm the one who parted the Red Sea. I'm the one who did these things. And the successes that you have today is simply through the grace of God, nothing more. And man, I want you to know that this is a blessing to us from the Lord. I know it can sound harsh, but it's a blessing. Because when you realize that it all comes from God, that he empowers, that he deposits, that he gives, and that he takes away, then our call to action as Christians is to be desperate over the Lord. We are desperate over the Lord that we can cry out to him because he is the one who is able to transform lives. Because he, in a, in a moment, with the snap of his fingers, with the words of his mouth, he is able to do the impossible. And that person, that family, that thing that you want changed so badly that you are not able to do yourself, God is able to do it. And so be desperate over the Lord. And he tells us again and again, cry out to me. I desire to give you the things of your heart. Just, just cry out and be desperate over him. And as long as we are desperate, as, as we cry out to the Lord, that is our call to action as Christians. And the other part is that we can be thankful in all circumstances. We can be so thankful knowing that at the end of the day, it is the Lord who has given us everything. He gave us the breath that we breathe. He gave us the ability to even wake up this morning. He gave us our friends, our family. He gave us the ability to love and to be thankful. He has given us our schools that we are attending. He has given us our works that we are going to. He has given us every single thing. And when you realize that and you think about that verse that says you can be thankful in all circumstances, you realize that, that can be true. Absolutely, as Christians, that absolutely can be true. Be desperate before the Lord and be thankful in all circumstances. You see, this is one thing that I have seen all throughout Shining Star. Over these past 21 years of our church, uh, it's been a blessing to be a part of this story here of how this church and the way that God has been able to use these people here has defied expectation after expectation. The fact that we are able to support and send out over 150 missionaries is not a normal thing. The, the fact that we have the budget of a congregation our size is not a normal thing. The, the, mo the, 
the fact that we have so many people who are willing to serve and give and do all of these things, and, and the fact that we not only affect this neighborhood, not only affect this city, but affect the entire world through our giving and service and, and love for others, man, that's not a, a normal thing. But I want you to know that there hasn't been a time, and I pray that there will never be a time where we think any of this is due to our own strength, because it's not. None of it is. We are simply allowed to be a part of God's story. You know, F.B. Meyer, who is a biblical scholar, he once said, throughout this story, the entire stress is laid on the grace of God. God says, I took, I gave, I brought, I delivered. Not a mention is made of Israel's mighty men. All is attributed to the ultimate source of nature, history, and grace, the supreme will and power of God. It is all due to the grace of God. And this is what God is trying to remind the Israelites. This is what Joshua is trying to remind the Israelites at the very end of his life. Remember all that God has done for you. Allow that to be the starting point of everything in your life. And if you allow that to be the starting point, then everything else will, be, will flow well. So let that be the start. And so what Joshua does is he says, look, remember all that God has done for you. And in verse 14, he switches it a little bit and says, now, therefore, I will choose the Lord. See, that's very important for us to understand. Because I think for some of us, we've grown up in the church and we've just heard the same things again and again. Just trust in the Lord, just believe in the Lord, just, just accept God. And I want you to know that the Bible tells us, look, our faith is not a blind faith. Your faith is based upon what God has already done in your life. Our faith is based upon all the promises of God, all in his character and how good he has been. And most importantly, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. That is where our faith comes from. That is why we are able to serve. That is why we are able to respond with joy and with grace to others. That's why we are able to forgive. That's where we're able to do every one of these things. It's not a blind faith that starts with us. It always starts with God. And because of all that God has done in our lives, we say, now, therefore, I will serve you. Now, therefore, I will give to you. You see, for the... Um, for Joshua, as he's mentioning these things, uh, he says, look, because of all these things, I, I am going to choose the Lord. You have a choice in this matter. You have a choice to serve the God of the Amorites. You have a choice to serve the God of the other fathers and across the river. But I and my household will choose to serve the Lord. You see, this idea of choice is so very important. Because when Joshua says that we are to choose God, he's hitting on a really important principle. And it's the principle that Joshua is saying, look, if you are not worshiping God, then you are worshiping something else. And so be careful about that. Because if you think that you are able to put yourself on the sideline, 
that if you're able to take a step back and say, look, everything else, you know, people, people who are super Christian, they serve God. And, and these other people who aren't Christian, they serve the world. But for me, I'm, I'm going to try to just be in this one little area. That's impossible. You are either serving God or you are serving something else. Either your priority is God or it's something else. You see, for the Israelites, they had the choice of worshiping either the gods of the Amorites or the one true God. And for many of us, we are worshiping something or someone other than God. We just don't realize it. And that becomes the dangerous thing. And I want you to know that unless you find out what that thing is in your life that you are putting above the Lord, your relationship with God will stay stagnant. Your relationship with God will not grow. And so one of the most important things for you to be able to do is reflect back upon your own heart, upon the different areas of your own life, and say, do I prioritize this above the Lord? Do I put these things above God? And if you do, pray to the Lord for forgiveness and switch it. And say, God, I'm going to place you first. That even if I lose these things, as long as I have you, I'll be fine. To live as Christ and to die as gain, as long as I have you. You know, there's this book called Immunity to Change. And it was this book that was written by two actually non-Christian professors. And they were trying to find out why people wouldn't change. And they were looking at this study that was done where this, uh, a doctor would um, look at nine different patients. Or they would look at all of these patients who uh, had heart problems. And the doctor would say to the patients, look, if you don't change your habits, if you don't stop smoking and drinking and eating this way, you are going to die. And it says that only two of the nine patients actually changed their lifestyles. That seven of the nine just kept on doing what they were doing. And the professors here, they were wondering why that was. And they said the reason that people wouldn't change is because for them, they had a different priority in their hearts. That for them, they yes, they wanted to live, but their addiction to smoking, their addiction to alcohol was more important than the thought of them dying later. For them, you see, there was a hidden priority in their lives. It's not that they didn't want to live. Of course they did. It's not that they didn't want to change. Of course they did. It's that there was a priority in their lives that was stopping them from doing so. The question I want to give to you is what is the priority of your life? What is something that is stopping you from going all in with Christ? What is that thing that is stopping you from really dedicating your entire life to the Lord? For Joshua and his household, man, he was just emphasizing again and again. You are able to have a choice here. You are able to choose whatever you want to choose. That is your freedom. But for me and my household, more than these other things, more than career, more than money, more than family, more than anything else, I am going to choose the Lord and I will continue to choose the Lord. What's your choice? See, verse, verse 14 says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. When Joshua says that he and his household will serve the Lord, that word for serve is abad. 
Now, abad has two different meanings. It means to serve and to worship. And so when Joshua says, look, for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, what he's also saying is me and my household, we will worship the Lord. And it's one of the reasons why us as uh, Christian leaders continually ask our members and our church people, hey, serve, serve. There's so many serving opportunities. It's not because we want free labor. That's not the reason why. It's because of verses like this where our service, our places of service are acts of worship. And so as you serve, you are worshiping the Lord. And there's a reason why as you serve, you don't get burnt out. You actually get filled in. Because you are worshiping God and that is a sweet fragrance to the Lord. And he blesses you because of it. Are you willing to choose God? Are you willing to choose God in every part of your life? Is he your priority? I hope that he is, church. I hope that you can truly say from the bottom of your heart at the end of your life that he is the priority of your life. You know, there was a man named Truett Cathy who was born in the 1920s and he was always interested in the restaurant business. After World War II, the U.S. economy took a turn down and many people, they were out of jobs. And so what he decided to do was open a small 24-hour diner to help these other men, women, and children. And yet for Truett Cathy, he's, his faith was of the utmost importance. It was his priority. And so even though this diner was 24 hours, and even though all other restaurants would open on every single day, this diner would close every single Sunday, even though it was the busiest day to eat. Now this diner it ended up going, doing really, really well. And it exploded into one of the biggest restaurant franchises in America called Chick-fil-A. And what they still do is that they close on Sundays, the busiest day to eat. Now, before True Kathy died, he did an interview where he was asked this one question. What do you want to be remembered for? And he said this, I think I'd like to be remembered as one who kept my priorities in order. Church, at the end of your life, are you able to say that? That, man, my priorities have been in order. That no matter what, I have placed God above everything else. Above even my family, above even my career, above even my future, I have placed God first. And I want you to know that as you keep God the priority of your life, he will take care of everything else. That is God's promise to us. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Trust in the Lord, because as you seek after the Lord, as you prioritize him, you don't have to have confidence in your own ability. You don't have to have confidence in who you are. Have confidence in God and his character and the promises that he has for you. He is backing you. You know, Queen Elizabeth I once told a man that she wanted him to go with her on a voyage to the new world because his skills were needed. And this man was a pretty bad businessman. And he looks at the queen in trepidation and says, look, I'm just a small businessman. I don't really do very much. My business isn't doing very well. I know that you think highly of me, but I think that if I go, I'm going to ruin it. And so she looks at him and says one thing, friend. You mind my business, and I'll mind your business. 
And he knew that at that moment that there was nothing to fear because he had the backing of the queen. Church, you have the backing of God. You have the backing of the most high, most powerful Lord who created this world. So what is there to fear? If he is for you, who can truly be against you? Trust in the Lord in whatever circumstance that you are in. Remember what God has done and choose him and be at peace. Amen? Yeah, let's pray.